Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we'll speak with Rossbrook House's Executive Director, Phil Chiapetta, to learn more about the Inner City Drop-In Centre and the No Child Alone dinner that's taking place on January 24th at Canadins Polo Park. Then, winter is in full swing, but th- that does not mean you have to stay inside. Fort White Alive has all sorts of exciting and fun winter activities to experience, and we're going to learn all about their upcoming winter fest that's happening January 20th. Then we'll tell you about Design Quarter Winnipeg, an initiative to promote Winnipeg as a walkable design destination, and about how its upcoming Lights, a winter celebration in support of Artbeat Studio event on February 1st, will help activate winter in the Design Quarter. And finally, one year ago, the Winnipeg Foundation launched its Reconciliation Grants program, and we're going to speak with the Foundation's Director of Community Grants, Megan Tate, to learn more about the latest updates in advance of the Reconciliation Grant announcements that are taking place next week. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to RC360. Robert, is this episode one of 2019 officially? Episode one of 2019 officially, season five. We've been doing this for five years, well, I guess four years and a bit now, but uh, did you ever think that we would make it this far, sir? I think we, I, th- <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to think, uh, think about the longevity of the show at the very beginning, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's really amazing to see how it's evolved over the years. I'm surprised you haven't strangled me yet, to be honest. It's good that, uh, we've been partners for this long and you still want to be my, my buddy. We're still a team, man. Still bros. It's the RC360 homies here coming at you from down in the Richardson building and, uh, it's the new CJNU studios it's beautiful we can see people walking by if you're ever in the richardson building corner of portage in maine come on down into the concourse and and say hello at cjnu it's always kind of we're always looking for people i think nine to five the offices are open so come say hello if you want yeah and i believe the morning shows are now broadcasting from here as well so it's an exciting time to be uh subscribing to cjnu or to be a member at cjnu or a volunteer at cjnu so uh yeah big big celebratory congratulations to everyone here at cjnu for the move and the new offices it looks beautiful and we're we're very honored and happy to be able to use this great little studio space so thank you very much uh today's show is pretty exciting we got a whole bunch of winter kind of discussions that we're going to be talking about there's winter fest that's happening at fort white an upcoming lights uh event happening uh uh, for the Design Quarter Winnipeg, that's kind of going to encourage people to walk around during the winter. Um, and yeah, we're going to learn more about uh, the No Child Alone dinner that's taking place on January 24th as well. That's our first interview coming up after our first musical break. But Robert, we always kick the show off with a song. So what have you got for us today? So we'll start things off with Petula Clark and I Know a Place right here on River City 360. Every day when the work is behind you and the shop and the store put the lock on the door. Just get away where your worries won't find you. If you like, well, I'll tell you more. Don't let the day get the better of you. When the evening comes, there's so much to do. You better put on your vest and wear a smile. Just come along with me a while, cause I tell you... I know a place where the music is fine and the lights are always low. I know a place where we can go. 
tables and chairs. Soon I'm sure you'll be tapping your feet because the beat is the greatest there. All around there are girls and boys. It's a swinging place. A cellar full of noise. It's got an atmosphere of its own somehow. You gotta come along right now. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined via telephone by Phil Chiapetta. He is the executive director of Rossbrook House. Phil, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you, Robert. So Rossbrook House is a neighborhood drop-in center that provides a safe place for youth in Winnipeg's centennial neighborhood. Tell us a little bit more about, uh, about Rossbrook House and its mission. Well, uh, you know, you've got it uh, there that it's a drop-in center, and it's located just north of the Health Science Center. And our mission really is to to be a safe place where children and youth can belong, they can play, they can learn, and they can really become who they're meant to be. Rossbrook House uh, has been around for 43 years now. Can you tell us a little bit more about how Rossbrook House got started and, and maybe sort of how it's evolved over time? Back in 1976, the uh, late, very wonderful Sister Geraldine McNamara met some youth on the streets around her home. A lot of them she saw out at all hours of the night, and uh, she was studying to be a lawyer, and she saw a lot of them in and out of the court system. And she really wanted to intervene and find out what was going on and if there was anything that her and her community of sisters could do. They really wanted a place of their own, a place where they could feel comfortable and a place that was um, open and available to them. Sister Mac, really, that was never her dream, but she really wanted to facilitate theirs. So she went down to City Hall and talked about the need for more recreation. And lo and behold, somebody called her up two days later and offered her an old church uh, that uh, the city had taken over on the corner of Ross and Sherbrooke Street. She got the young guys to to help and reconstruct it into a drop-in center. And the other thing that she really wanted to do was make it meet their needs. They would be directing its kind of vision and the things that it would do. And so these young kids who a lot of people had written off uh, were all of a sudden running a drop-in center. And a lot of people thought uh, that Sister Mac was... uh, 
it was a bit crazy to do that, but soon learned that that was exactly the formula that kind of empowered them and turned their lives around and, and allowed them to make room for other kids coming up behind them. And since that time, it's really expanded in terms of those young guys. It was really almost a diversion from the criminal justice system. And then it became a lot more encompassing and preventative. And a lot of young girls got involved and young women. And then a lot of young kids started to come to the door and the building expanded in uh, about 1999 to include special space for the younger kids programming. Rossbrook House today serves over a thousand children and youth each year and some sometimes can see up to 80 participants every day. Can you tell us a little bit about what kinds of programs are offered through Rossbrook House? So a lot of them, you know, are, are geared towards the age group, and we start off the day. We've got three alternative school programs associated with Winnipeg One, and then around 3 o'clock, all the after-school programming is open, and the younger kids uh, come from all the different schools that they're involved with, and a lot of them spend most of their time at Rossbrook. So we have quite a good daily food program, serve a nutritious light supper, and there's lots of snacks and things like that at Rossbrook. We have a program called Learning Always, and that program is run by a former participant who became a teacher who came back to run the program. And a lot of our programs are like that, where we have Rossbrook alumni running the programs, and then they become very accessible role models, and they understand the experience of the kids very well. We have all kinds of recreation programs. We do a lot of cultural programming. Most of our participants are indigenous, so we have an annual powwow and we have powwow practices and we do uh, monthly going out on cultural activities like sweats and uh, in the summer going down to the sun dances. It's just always been integrated into Rossbrook activities and also programs to teach employment skills and actually get the young kids involved in employment at Rossbrook. So kind of holistically trying to hit all the uh, areas, education, employment, and uh, recreation. And how great is that, that a lot of the participants come full circle where they're, you know, they're mentoring someone who, you know, they were in their shoes 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, that's the strength of Rossbrook House. It really couldn't exist without the participants, the youth providing the leadership there and the direction for the place and then giving back. I, I mean, it really creates the kind of environment that is comfortable for the, the kids in the neighborhood who are drawn to Rossbrook House. Having worked with Rossbrook House for more than 35 years now, what's something that you've learned through your work that's been really profound or that's really stuck with you? I think it's really the need to really work on the, the grounding of, of a young person in terms of their sense of belonging and, and providing that kind of place where they can develop those relationships with people so they really feel like they belong and that starts to give them the opportunity to have confidence in themselves and being themselves and and that just leads to all the good things. When youth don't have that, they're very susceptible to what's out there in the streets luring them and they're not open to opportunities to the same degree they are when they feel good about themselves. So it's, it's really just setting that base and um, uh, it's a lot of simple things. I, I think, you know, you could put it down to the sisters who, who began the place, that model of, uh, you know, respecting and really, I guess you could say, loving the kids who came there. 
it makes all the difference in terms of all that comes afterwards. And then being there to provide opportunities. Employment's such a big one, doing our best to encourage education, but uh, also to get young people on that employment path has just been so empowering in their lives that they get that opportunity and then they sort of run with it later on. I want to talk about the No Child Alone dinner, which is coming up on January 24th in support of Rossbrook House. But first, I want to start by talking about the theme for the dinner, which is reconciliation, what it means to all of us. Can you speak to the importance of reconciliation in the work that Rossbrook House does and and why it was chosen as the central theme for the No Child Alone event? Well, I think, you know, we recognized we didn't have a lot of words uh, to put uh, our experience in the early days in, in, in a lot of ways. And uh, some of what the Reconciliation, the Truth and Reconciliation Committee uncovered, you know, about the residential school syndrome and things like that. You know, we could see that in the early days of Rossbrook. We could see that in what a lot of the young people were carrying. We just didn't have all the words for it. And now that's uh, coming out. People understand so much about generational trauma and what an effect that can have on young people. And I guess, um, you know, right from the get-go, the sisters were trying to intervene in a reconciliation way in that, um, you know, there was always such a respect and uh, such um, an empowerment of the young people coming here to be the leaders. And I think just essentially we were doing that work of reconciliation at a very early stage at Rossbrook House. And that's always been the uh, stance that we were taking. But to see, you know, society really coming to terms with uh, what it means and, and how much a better society we could come to if we embraced reconciliation. I think that's, um, you know, we just want to play our part in uh, fanning the flames for that understanding and that process that should continue for for many years into the future. And and we can see that that will make a big difference in many uh, young people's lives. And obviously, and they grow into the next generation and things just get better. And as we mentioned earlier, Rossbrook House is hosting uh, the No Child Alone dinner uh, as a fundraiser on January 24th. Tell us a little bit more about the event and what people can expect that evening. Well, it's almost like coming to Rossbrook House, but, uh, you know, Rossbrook is just not big enough for all the people that will be being hospitable to that, that evening. So, you know, we get uh, the Canadians, the big room there and bring people in and they get to meet a lot of the young people. They get to hear about some of the things that I've been talking about, the effect that Rossbrook's had on many young lives. They get to hear uh, Nigan talk about reconciliation and what it means to society and uh, the process for doing that. They get a fantastic meal. We always choose a really good meal. And I think that people just be happy. There's going to be kids demonstrating uh, powwow dancing, It'll just be a a very warm and welcoming time that uh, I think people will really enjoy. And knowing that um, their contribution to the dinner through their tickets is is really going to make a difference in a lot of young lives. Uh, You know, all the proceeds go to the programming at Rossbrook House. So a lot of good things will happen out of just that visit to the Canada Inns that night, you know. It it might be cold outside, but it's going to be a very warm and uh, welcoming place. And I I think people will learn a lot, have their eyes opened a little bit, and definitely have their hearts open. If any of our listeners would like to purchase tickets and attend the No Child Alone dinner, or if they just like to learn more about Rossbrook House, where can they go to purchase tickets or get more information? 
directly from our website at rossbrookhouse, all one word, uh, .ca. And uh, there will be a big banner when you get to the website at uh, Rossbrook House that uh, talks about the No Child Alone dinner. You click on that, it goes right to the site where you can buy tickets, uh, learn a little bit more about the dinner. Uh, but at the same time, like you say, if you get to the website, uh, you can see a lot of the uh, uh, the programs and the things that I was talking about. And also it can lead you to our social media that, I mean, if anybody's seen the uh, Rossbrook uh, Facebook or uh, Twitter or Instagram accounts, you just see just this vibrancy of young smiling faces and uh, people enjoying themselves. And it, I, I think people are always um, pleasantly surprised by just what a positive place that uh, Rossbrook House is. Thank you very much, uh, Phil Chiapetta, Executive Director of Rossbrook House, for uh, for taking the time to speak with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, we're going to be joined via telephone by Jessica Drosowicz of Fort White Alive. Uh, Fort White has many winter activities available if you're looking for something fun for the family to partake in during the holiday, or during the winter months, sorry, as well as there's an upcoming free event called Winterfest that's happening January 20th. So stay tuned to learn all about that. But before we get to that, how about Song for a Winter's Night by Gordon Lightfoot, right here on RC360. The lamp is burning low upon my tabletop The snow is softly falling The air is still in the silence of my room I hear your voice softly calling If I could only have you near Breathe a sigh or two I would be happy just to hold the hands I love On this winter night with you The smoke is rising in the shadows overhead my glass is almost empty I read again between the lines upon each page The words of love you sent me If I could know within my heart That you're alone too I would be happy just to hold the hands I this winter night with you The fire is dying Now my lamp is growing dim The shades of night are lifting The morning light steals across my window pane Where whips of snow are drifting if I could only have you near To breathe a sigh or two I would be happy just to hold the hands I love On this winter night with you And to be once again with you
for listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined via telephone by Jessica Drosowicz. She is the Public Programs Coordinator at Fort White Alive. Jessica, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. We wanted to have you on the show to talk a little bit about, well, Fort White Alive in general, but also the upcoming uh, Winterfest, which is happening Saturday, January 20th from 11 to four, eleven a.m. to 4 p.m. But uh, my first question is just like, what, what can people do once the snow has fallen? Like, we've got a couple feet of snow out there. What can people do out at Fort Alive once the f- snow is on the ground? Um, So they can do a whole lot of things. I would say winter is um, one of our busiest seasons for kind of just passive activities. So um, all these things are kind of things that will be included in Winterfest. But day to day, we offer guided snowshoeing, um, ice skating, tobogganing, guided hikes, bonfires, um, a bunch of different workshops like our upcoming natural skincare workshop and some woodworking workshops. Um, all through the winter months. So we always have something lined up that's really exciting to happen. Um, we also host four really great events through the winter. So, of course, January 20th, like you mentioned, being Winterfest. Um, and February 10th, we host a 5-kilometer and 10-kilometer fun run here called the wow. Frozen Fiver. Um, February 28th, we host something called Wine and Skis, which is a really fun wine and cheese pairing event, followed by uh, skiing on our 5 kilometers of ski trails and our Lake Shaker event, which is kind of our cabin fever reliever that we host every year on March 9th. So we have quite a bit going on during the winter months here at Fort White. Making winter fun, hey? Like, I mean, Absolutely. People, kind of, <laughs> people kind of moan about the Winnipeg winters quite a bit, but this sounds like a pretty wicked uh, place to go if you're if you're into going outside and enjoying enjoying the winter months. Yeah, definitely. We embrace winter wholeheartedly here. So who are the, are, is it kids mostly? Is it families? Is it um, grandparents? Who's who's coming and taking part in these activities mostly? We have a mix of every age group you can imagine. We have um, a lot of senior groups that come for our Nordic walking program. We have young kids that come for our science club program. We have a bunch of people all through the ages that come snowshoeing. We have uh, snowshoes for all sizes. So really a mix of everybody comes and visits us mm-hmm. here at Fort White. I was reading uh, about winter solstice yoga too. Is that outdoor yoga or is it? <laughs> um, that one was hosted indoors around oh, okay, a cozy gotcha. uh, fire that we had going in a fireplace. But we do often host outdoor yoga. For example, we have fire yoga and ice yoga coming up oh. in uh, February. So that'll be out on our frozen lake and surrounded by bonfires. So very cool. So what like when people kind of come to these events and see the, all the different things that they can do, what is the reaction? Do people are even, most people even aware of all the different things that Fort White offers? I would say that we have a lot of people that do know about what we offer, but the, the when they bring their friends right. and show them, "Hey, this is what you can do at Fort White." We definitely see a little bit of awe in how vast our, our site is and all the different activities you can do. So people are definitely surprised by it, by it but they take it in really happily. I was, de- yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I've only been there in the summer, so I wasn't even aware of all these things. I was reading the uh, winter gu- uh, guide that you guys have on the website at fortwhite.org, F-O-R-T-W-H-Y-T-E.org. And uh, I was kind of yeah, blown away at, at how many different things were available. It was pretty cool to see. You have to come visit us through all the seasons. We always have something exciting going on. Well, the next exciting thing is Winterfest. So tell me a little bit about what people can expect uh, Saturday, January 20th at this at this excellent event. Yeah, so it is a free event, free admission, and all rentals are free for the day. So we offer cross-country skiing, guided snowshoe hikes in both English and French, um, tobogganing, ice skating, voyager games, bannock roasting, um, and ice fishing, including an ice fishing tournament that Walleye Mafia is putting on for us awesome. this year. 
Very cool. And you mentioned that Cancer Care Manitoba was going to be partnering with you. What's the connection there? Yes. So um, Cancer Care Manitoba um, is the 2019 Winterfest sponsor. So we are really excited to have them on board. Um, What they're doing is conducting a long-term population health study, which connects all the different facets of health. So the social factors, um, genetics, environmental factors, lifestyle, and all of that, and how they contribute to cancer and other chronic diseases. So they'll be on site that day, kind of chatting with visitors and connecting with them. um, And chatting about the research that they're going to be doing. So the goal with Cancer Care Manitoba is um, getting people outside in all seasons, which really helps um, negate the effects of all of those uh, factors. It really is win-win, right? You're you're enjoying the winter months. The winter months can tend to drag by a little bit. That's why kind of people get a little bit sadder when it comes to February and January and March and stuff. But getting outside, getting active, sweating a little bit, and learning a little bit about uh, our nature and, and our wilderness is a great way to, to combat those feelings, I think. Absolutely. I would say that uh, the seasonal sadness is definitely a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. But you'll see here at Fort White, whenever you come and visit during the winter, there's always smiling faces. So that's something to say about being out in nature. Absolutely. So what, like, you can become a member at Fort White. Talk a little bit about the membership system and how that works, And because I think it's a little bit cheaper for people if they're members, if they want to take part in the different activities, and, and just give me a rundown about how that all works. Yeah, absolutely. So becoming a member at Fort White is really easy. You could do it on our website, fortwhite.org backslash uh, mem- memberships. And um, membership definitely does have its perks. So with a membership, you do get free admission, free equipment rentals all the time, discounts at our nature shop, um, different members-only events, and all programs are discounted as well for our four-way members. So memberships start at something like $55 annually, so they really are a great deal if you do come visit us pretty often. Yeah. Awesome. So what are you are are people kind of batting down the doors to volunteer there or do you guys are are you constantly looking for volunteers? What's the situation with that? So a little bit of a little bit of A, a little bit of B. We do have a really great stream of volunteers that are always coming through, but we have more jobs than we do volunteers. So we are always mm. looking for volunteers. Um we have a ton of different volunteer opportunities here. So um with being a not for profit, volunteers really are the backbone of this organization. They're the ones who run the day-to-day. So um, we have things from school field trip leaders to snowshoe hike leaders, fishing instructors, gardeners, maintenance staff, different things like that. that, that we really do have a wide variety of volunteer roles available here at Fort White. For sure. Well, I'm going to let you, let you get going here in one more second. Um, my last question for you is, if someone has never been to Fort White in the summer or the winter, what what would one sort of hidden gem that you would like to to let people know about Fort White that you think that they should? One hidden gem. I would say just take a walk in the woods Mm -hmm. and you'll come out taller than the trees. Ooh, beautiful. Poetic. I love it. Great way to finish. Thank you very much. Well, Jessica, I'm going to let you go and get prepared for Saturday, January 20th. Winterfest is happening. Uh, Go on down, check things out there from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. For more information, you can go to fortwhite.org. That's F-O-R-T-W-H-Y-T-E.org. Jessica, Public Programs Coordinator at Fort White Live, thank you very much for your time today. We really appreciate you talking to us. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Nolan, and thanks again to Jessica Jarosowicz for speaking with us all about Winterfest, again, which is happening on January 20th at Fort White.
Coming up next, we'll learn more about Design Quarter Winnipeg's plans to activate winter at Old Market Square on February 1st. Executive Director Zafira Vun will tell us all about Lights, a winter celebration in support of Artbeat Studio, after our next musical break. Here's the Bob Crosby Orchestra with The Skater's Waltz, right here on River City 360. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined via telephone by Zafira Vun. She is the Executive Director of Design Quarter Winnipeg. Zafira, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Well, thank you for having me. So first of all, can you tell our listeners what is Design Quarter Winnipeg? Design Quarter Winnipeg is a curated uh, destination experience, is what, what we like to call ourselves. Um, within a walkable area of downtown Winnipeg that highlights all the the local design culture and authentic retail that our city has to offer. So we are a nonprofit uh, member-based organization. And uh, yeah, the whole objective is to provide a go-to resource for um, the public, both locals and tourists, to find all the cool local design culture that exists in a walkable area of our downtown. Uh, while also connecting uh, the Winnipeg entrepreneurs that choose to situate their businesses in downtown Winnipeg. So our area is kind of from Exchange District uh, all the way to the Forks and into the Shed District as well, just along Broadway. Um, So we try to kind of connect all of these uh, creative communities uh, in the center of our city. And as you mentioned, the membership of Design Quarter Winnipeg covers quite a large scope. So within that, it's, it's more than the first thing that might come to mind when you think of design, you can find restaurants, shops, art galleries that are among the members that are on the map there. So even though there's a variation in the types of businesses and organizations that are part of Design Quarter Winnipeg, what are some of the common threads or attributes that all the Design Quarter members share? Well, all of our members are uh, either local businesses or local nonprofits, and they all bring an awareness to design culture in some way, shape, or form. They create really unique um, experiences for the visitor. 
Um, so those are all kind of considerations that we take into account when um, local businesses approach us for membership. Um, some other things that we consider are, you know, their street presence, if they have a storefront, so that we're really trying to activate um, Winnipeg streets and the public spaces. So, yeah, those are all kind of considerations that we take into account when considering businesses for membership in the quarter. Can you tell us a little bit about where the idea came from? For sure. Um, well, it actually came from our board chair, Johanna, um, her hometown of Helsinki. So um, there's something called Design District Helsinki. And that's that's where Johanna's from. So whenever she goes back home, um, you know, during Christmas, holidays or whatever to visit family, uh, she would always pick up a Design District Helsinki map that does kind of what Design Quarter does, which is highlight some of the unique local offerings to locals and tourists. And Johanna thought to herself, you know, Winnipeg has all of these ingredients to create our own kind of Winnipeg Design District. So that's kind of where the idea originated from. And there are various design districts that exist around the world. There's, you know, um, Design District Soho, London, Reykjavik, you name it. And it's and it's really about putting design, or sorry, putting Winnipeg on the map as a, a true design city, which I don't think a lot of people, whether they're from Winnipeg or not, um, necessarily associate Winnipeg with. But we do have such a great, extensive, large um design culture community, uh, especially in the downtown. So it's just about highlighting that and, and providing, you know, a map, a website for people to find find these things. It's like the ingredients are all there, but, you know, maybe the first the first thought that comes into mind is is not necessarily that Winnipeg might be a design city, despite the fact that there is so much out there. And so, yeah, what a great way to uh, to really highlight and promote that. Totally. And it's not only promoting um, the community, but the fact that it all exists within a walkable area. That was another thing that was an important aspect to the initiative was that, you know, you can pick up a map and you can walk to all of these places within, you know, 20, 25 minutes. You can walk from one end of the quarter to the other. And that's another thing that Winnipeg is not the best at is, you know, walkability, especially in our downtown. So just putting that at the forefront of people's minds and and enabling them to kind of discover the quarter just by walking through it. One of the initiatives that Design Quarter Winnipeg has been promoting recently on social media is the, the hashtag Activate Winter. And I'm wondering if you can speak to what is the idea behind Activate Winter and why is it important for our city? So Activate Winter kind of came on the heels of a few things. Our board chair, Johanna, she's also the um, current chair of the Winnipeg Peg Chamber of Commerce, and for one of the chamber luncheons, she invited um, a very well-known Danish architect by the name of Jan Gale to speak at the luncheon, and he spoke about his new book entitled Cities for People, but it's about livable cities and how, you know, in this day and age, cities are kind of neglecting the the humanized aspect to, to building sustainable cities. So he actually came at the at the heels of the Port Germain debate and, you know, found it quite comical that we decided to um, keep this intersection close to pedestrians. But basically the, the activate winter um, hashtag came as a opportunity to really promote um, livable cities, uh, especially at the onset of winter, because we all know that, you know, Winnipeg summers are amazing. People are out on the streets, people are on the patios. It's super, super active and, and, and livable. Um, but in the winter, we kind of shut down, you know, we don't really celebrate the fact that we are in fact a winter city. So kind of all of this culminated into this hashtag that we created, Activate Winter, where we are trying to just promote people 
you know, not hibernating in the winter and really celebrating the fact that we are a winter city and that we should be continuing to activate our public spaces and put pedestrian streets first, even in the wintertime. And creating more opportunities to celebrate that, not just maybe treating a winter activity as sort of a, a one-off thing, actually living and experiencing and enjoying the uh, the spaces in our city all year round. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're getting there slowly, I think. Like even the warming huts um, has become internationally renowned. Um, people love when the the uh, Red River Mutual Trail opens, which just happened a couple weeks ago. So, so we are recognizing that, you know, the, Winter is fun, but uh, I think we can do more, especially um, on a smaller scale as well. So part of the Activate Winter um, initiative, we, we actually got these blankets printed, or we branded them with Design Quarter logos, and we handed them out to some of our um, members with patios. And this was around September, October, when it was just trying to get a bit, starting to get a bit chilly out. And we handed them out to some of our members with private patios and encouraged them to hand them out to guests to you know stay outside longer and instead of sitting outside just in the fall yeah yeah to just continue to activate our streets and make them humanized all season long one of the things that design quarter winnipeg is organizing as part of the activate winter idea is on friday february 1st and that's taking place from 5 to 11 p.m at old market square Design Quarter Winnipeg is hosting Lights, a winter celebration in support of Artbeat Studio. Tell us a little bit more about uh, about the event and what people can expect. We're super excited about this event that we're collaborating with the Winnipeg Foundation on. So they've generously sponsored this event for us. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a winter celebration in support of Artbeat Studio. So if you are not familiar with Artbeat Studio, they're a recent uh, member of ours. And they do amazing community work in promoting mental health recovery via artistic expression. Um, so they have uh, three kind of streams through their organization, which includes Artbeat Studio, Upbeat Artworks, and uh, Studio Central as well. So we're just trying to bring awareness um, as well as raise funds for Artbeat Studio, but in a really fun way that brings the community together to really, like you said, activate winter. So we're hosting it in Old Market Square. There's kind of like three components to the event. So Old Market Square, uh, there's going to be skating, snow activities, um, all that fun stuff, music going. Directly adjacent to Old Market Square is Bijou Park, uh, where we have what we call our pop-up shipping container. This is a a shipping container situated in the middle of Bijou Park that Design Quarter Winnipeg uses for really innovative pop-up programming. So we've used the pop-up box um, in the summer, of course, for a variety of summer festivals. We had our first birthday um, within the pop-up container. We had a little pop-up cocktail bar and seating area. We had the uh, Winnipeg Jazz Orchestra doing some live acoustical performances. And we want to be able to continue to activate this pop-up box, not just in summer, but in winter in order to, you know, activate winter. So we're going to be having a little pop-up hot chocolate stand within the, the shipping container. And then, of course... The whole event is in support of Artbeat Studio. So Artbeat Studio actually is located at uh, 62 Albert, which is just down the street from Old Market Square. So there's kind of going to be a trifecta of activity happening uh, within the Exchange District. And again, all in support of Artbeat Studio and just to bring the community together and, and celebrate winter. That's great. Sounds like it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> So if any of our listeners are intrigued and maybe they haven't heard about Design Quarter Winnipeg before, what's the easiest way for someone to, you know, if they want to take the initiative and and do some exploring, what's the easiest way for someone to do that? 
super easy. So we have our website at uh, www.designquarterwinnipeg.ca. And on there, you'll find, you know, our member profiles. You'll find an interactive version of our map. You'll find special event listings, uh, blog features, a bunch of different content that really highlights our members. And we also have our design quarter maps that are probably the most uh, popular and the most recognizable part of our organization. So these handy little maps, um, like I said, there's an interactive version on our website, which actually, if you use on your mobile device, you can navigate via GPS. Um, But the hard copy maps are found in all of our member locations. So we currently have 52 members. So they all have maps available for uh, customers and guests. We also have map distribution aid from some of our partners like Tourism Winnipeg, Travel Manitoba, Exchange Biz, Downtown Biz. So there's a lot of different places that you can learn about design culture and design quarter and discover the quarter. And as well as our Instagram, of course, which is at Winnipeg. Fantastic. Zafira Vun is the executive director of Design Quarter Winnipeg and Lights, a winter celebration in support of Artbeat Studio. Again, takes place Friday, February 1st from 5 to 11 p.m. at Old Market Square. Zafira, thank you so much again for speaking with me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, we're going to be joined in studio by friend of the show and director of community grants at the Winnipeg Foundation, Megan Tate. The Winnipeg Foundation launched a reconciliation grants program almost exactly one year ago, and we're going to get an update about the program and what's in store for reconciliation when it comes to the Winnipeg Foundation in 2019. But first, here's Youngbloods with Get Together, right here on River City 360. Love is but a song we sing Fears we will die You can make the mountains ring Or make the angels cry Though the bird is on the wing And you may not know
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Megan Tate. She is the Director of Community Grants at the Winnipeg Foundation. Megan, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So last year at the Foundation's annual celebration, the Winnipeg Foundation announced its Reconciliation Grants program. And this year at the annual celebration, it's it's coming full circle as the first grants will be announced uh, at the annual celebration that's happening next week. To start things off, why did the foundation decide to create a reconciliation grants program and and how did that initial idea come about? Yeah, so a couple of things um, led to the development of the reconciliation grants program. Uh, So first of all, the Winnipeg Foundation um, embarked on its first vital signs report and that was an opportunity for the foundation to get a sense of priorities for Winnipeggers. What are things happening in our community that um, Winnipeggers are concerned about, excited about, that kind of thing. And so very quickly we saw that reconciliation was a topic that was a great priority to our fellow citizens. The second thing that led the foundation to launch our reconciliation grants program is our own work on reconciliation. So as an organization, as a staff, as a board, we've been learning more about how we could advance reconciliation in our community. And so we thought if this is work that our organization is trying to do, that there's probably other community organizations that also want to engage in this work and how can we support them in that process. So the Reconciliation Grants program was launched last year. Can you tell me a little bit about how the committee was formed, the advisory committee, and what they considered when they came up with the framework for the program? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it was a little bit of a different process for us as a grants team. Uh, so traditionally, we work with the grants committee, which is a subcommittee of our board of directors. But for the reconciliation grants program, we wanted to do something different. And so we convened a group of uh, leaders in the Indigenous community and brought them together to get their feedback on the best path forward in terms of reconciliation grants. And so we as staff knew um, that the 94 calls to action were going to be an important piece of the review of these grant applications. Um, but the wisdom of our advisory committee shared that another key document that was going to be so important in terms of reconciliation was UNDRIP, which is the short name for the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. So those two documents really uh, formed the foundation for this grant program. And those are things that applicants had to make a direct reference to when they were applying, correct? Absolutely. And so when we got all the applications in the door and started to review them, those organizations that that showed the best understanding of UNDRIP and the calls to action were those that had the most successful proposals. What could charitable organizations apply for under the Reconciliation Grants Program, and what were some of the key considerations when they prepared their applications? We deliberately kept it as open as possible in terms of what organizations could apply for. This was a new granting program for us, so we didn't want to be limited in terms of the imagination of community organizations. But broadly, all types of Costs could be eligible, um, program costs, um, honorariums for elders, if organizations wanted to hold feasts or other activities, all those kinds of project expenses would be eligible for funding. When it came to the successful applications, again, those that showed an understanding of UNDRIP and the calls to action were successful. Other things that we were looking for was meaningful engagement with the Indigenous community in the development of the project, as well as in the implementation of the project. So that was that was certainly key. The committee was looking for diversity in terms of who might be impacted by the project. So is it youth or newcomers, just diverse groups who might benefit? And the committee was also looking for the length of a project. So if someone was proposing perhaps a one-time event, that those proposals weren't as successful as projects that had longer-term engagement with community. And so further to that, can you describe the review process of the applications that came in? It was definitely a tough job. Uh, so the foundation initially committed $1 million towards reconciliation grants, and we received 82 applications with requests of over $6 million. So our advisory committee really had their work cut out for them. Obviously, they wanted to have the strongest proposals, but they also wanted to make sure the breadth of community organizations were represented. So can't tell you those today, but when we announce the successful projects, you'll see that organizations working in the areas of environment, health, education, arts and culture are all represented in the final cohort of reconciliation grant recipients. It kind of goes back to the foundation's work as a 360 degree grant maker and really viewing that through the lens of reconciliation in the community. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's it's um, something that our committee said is that reconciliation isn't the job or the responsibility of one group of people, that it's really um, something that's the responsibility of all of us as Canadians. And so it was fascinating to see, again, like you described, the breadth of community organizations who want to engage in this work um, aligned with the breadth of community organizations just generally working in our community. 
What have you learned throughout the process of this new Reconciliation Grants program? What would you say were some of the key takeaways? Oh, that's a great question. So I think the first learning for me was learning to work with a grant-making committee in a different way in perhaps what I've traditionally uh, worked in. I've been a grant-maker for close to 20 years, and so I kind of know the drill. But because we wanted to do this differently, it meant a lot of listening and learning from our advisory committee. So that was certainly uh, different for me. Um, What was also different for me was we've never launched a grant program that allowed us to have conversations with community organizations in the way that we have through this program. So even when they were calling with questions about how to apply and that kind of thing, it led to deeper conversations about why reconciliation was important to those organizations and what they were hoping to do moving forward. So I'd say those were a couple of the takeaways. And that's already a win-win in and of itself because that's so foundational to reconciliation is just building that dialogue and the fact that the charitable sector in Winnipeg has had a chance to learn and reflect through the process. Yeah, absolutely. So um, hopefully they've had a chance to learn. They've seen that reconciliation is important to the foundation. Um, And I think it's important to note that although we've intended this to be a one-time call for proposals, that going forward, that the foundation will continue to accept requests for funding for reconciliation projects, and that as we, as a staff and a board, have gone through this process, what we've learned from reconciliation grants will inform our work going forward through our community grants and other grant-making programs. That's great. Once the grant recipients have been announced, uh, where can people go to learn more about the projects that have been funded? Yeah, so at a minimum, we'll have those um, projects listed on our website, um, part of the Reconciliation Grants page. But we're really interested to follow these projects and see what's going to happen as they move forward and the conversations that are going to get started about reconciliation in our community. Uh, So we're really excited to see what happens next. Is there anything else you'd like to mention about reconciliation grants before we go? Just to say that I think people will be really excited to see uh, the projects that were funded through this program because um, there's some really interesting work that's happening in our community. Well, we look forward to uh, learning more about the projects that have been funded through the reconciliation grants program. That'll be next week. Uh, Wednesday, January 16th, that that'll be announced. Um, And I'm sure you'll find all the details on the Winnipeg Foundation website at wpgfdn.org once that announcement is made. Megan Tate is the Director of Community Grants at the Winnipeg Foundation. Megan, thank you again for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me, Robert. Thanks, Robert, and thanks again to Megan Tate of the Winnipeg Foundation for talking to us today. We've got time for some more music here on RC360, so why not a little bit of Benny Goodman with Flying Home right here on RC360.
Benny Goodman with Flying Home. Thank you for listening to River City 360. That is a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us as well. If you'd like to hear more River City 360, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, you can visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback as well. If you'd like to request a song, suggest a topic for a future program, or just say hello, give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. That's our listener line, and it's open 24-7. So again, the number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. If you want to find out more about the show through Twitter or Facebook, you can search at WPGFDN on Twitter, and just search the Winnipeg Foundation on Facebook. Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell, signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Sirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.